Welcome to Ministry in Motion, where we explore best practices for your ministry in the 21st century. I'm Derek Morris, and our topic today is making life-changing appeals. Our guest, Pastor Mark Finley. Mark, it's great to have you back with us. I am so delighted to be here. We're talking about a topic that I'm really passionate about. And we've had some interesting conversations about life-changing biblical preaching, but we wanted to come back and say, what about making appeals? Uh, you talked about always thinking about life application and so on, but let's start with why do we make appeals? Is, is that even biblical? Well, making appeals is very biblical. We make appeals because God made the first appeal. When Adam and Eve drifted from God in their sin, God didn't sit in heaven saying, I hope you come back. Mm. In fact, the first, what I would call appeal, is found in Genesis chapter 3. And here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, the Bible says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. So God came to where they were. Verse 9, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So God is making this appeal. Adam, you've drifted away from me. Adam, my heart is broken. He doesn't say, Adam, kneel behind a bush and repent, although in some instances it's very appropriate to do that. Right. But God is making an appeal to Adam. As you look throughout Scripture in Exodus, Moses makes an appeal. He says, who's on the Lord's side? You come to the book of Kings. Elijah makes an appeal um, on Mount Carmel all through Scripture. And Jesus, of course, makes multiple appeals. Drop your fishermen's nets. Come with me. Mm. Uh, leave the tax collector's booth. Come with me. Come, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Come with me. There's a really a fascinating um, illustration of appeals, I believe, in the book of Revelation. And um, in Revelation chapter 21, the Bible talks about the holy city that will come down from God out of heaven, the Bible ends. And it's quite fascinating. If you look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 12, it says, she had a great and high wall, 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south and three gates on the west. First, why 12 gates? Ancient cities would have only very few gates because you want to keep people out. Right. God has 12 gates because he wants to get people in. <laughs> the whole architecture, That's the whole powerful. city is an appeal. See? I remember an archaeologist talking about it. it was a very big deal that this city had two gates because yeah. normally they just had one. 12 gates trying yeah. to get yeah. people in. Yeah, three on the east, three on the west, three on the north, three on the south. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit on the east say, come in. You know, three is always a symbol in the Bible of the Trinity, mm. uh, uh, Godhead. So the Godhead on the east says, everybody from the east, you can come in. Everybody from the west, you can come in. North, mm. you can come in. South, you can come in. Four, why is the city not triangular? Why is it a four-sided city here? Four is symbol of universality. So the whole Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit invite all humanity to come through those gates. And... Um, the gates are, of course, the Bible says that uh, the 12 names of the tribes of the children of Israel are, are upon the gates. Who were the children of Israel? What were the names of those? Well, there was Reuben and Simeon. You know, I mean, you've got a scoundrel. If they were tried in a court of American law or international <laughs> law, they would be murderers and thieves and adulterers. Yeah. But their names are there on the gates. Why? Because God is saying, whoever you are, I'm appealing to you through the grace of Jesus Christ to enter in through to this city. So why make appeals? How does the whole Bible end? Revelation ends in a very amazing way. Um, 
in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The Holy Spirit is saying, Come. The Bride of Christ, uh, His city and His church are saying, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Why make appeals? Because the Bible begins with appeal, with God calling to Adam, and the Bible ends with an appeal in Revelation. It says the three comes, you know, whoever, come, come, come. There's another aspect of appeals beside the biblical aspect, and that is, uh, Derek, the psychological aspect. There's something called programmed non-response. Programmed non-response is a psychological phenomenon that occurs when the emotions are aroused and the intellect is informed. If the emotions are aroused and the intellect is informed and a person does not make a decision, they lose the ability to make their decisions. The average American child at 14 has already witnessed 16 or 17,000 murders, largely on television. What happens? The little boy, maybe four years old, his father is watching a murder program. The little boy comes in, sits on dad's lap, and as dad's watching this murder program on television or this drama on television where a murder occurs, a lady is walking out to the parking lot to get into her car. Some thief jumps on her, slits her throat. The little four-year-old boy saying, Daddy, turn it off, Daddy, turn it off. What does the father say? Very often, oh, son, it's just make-believe. By the time the child has watched 17,000 murders, he's lost something inside. Psychologists tell us that's program non-response. He loses the ability to respond to human suffering, uses the ability to respond to human pain. Why? Because his intellect was informed, his emotions stimulated. But what if somebody sits through your preaching and they come to the end of the sermon and their intellect is informed, their emotions are stimulated, and you say, let's have closing prayer now. You preach on Calvary, the nails through Christ's hands. You preach on the atonement and he who knew no sin taking, becoming sin for us. But no appeals are made to accept Jesus. What if a person sits there for 20 years and there's no appeal, no hand raising, no kneeling, no standing, no coming forward, no filling out a response card, no bonding? What happens? Could it be that program non-response in the psychological realm takes place under our preaching? and people become spiritually numb, lethargic, and they lose their ability to respond? So after the break, we're saying we give an appeal because a word from God has been presented in a life-changing way. We want to talk about how to do that. But what a tragedy it would have been on the day of Pentecost if the people had said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter had just said, let's go home for lunch. What a missed opportunity. But sometimes you say, well, Derek, I want to give, uh, make a life-changing appeal, but I don't know how. It's biblical, but how do we do it? After the break, Pastor Mark Finley will give us some principles and even some examples. So you want to be ready with your pencil and paper. Write down some principles you'll learn here that can help you to make life-changing appeals as part of your preaching ministry. Whether you're a pastor or a lay preacher, this can bless the lives of those around you. We'll be right back with more Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today, making life-changing appeals. We talked in the first segment about why, and if you missed that, you can go to our website at ministryinmotion.tv. Right now, we want to talk about how, and our guest, Pastor Mark Finley. Mark, you 
inspired me with that first segment that, that we make appeals because God does and because it makes sense to the human mind if they've heard a powerful word and a clear application to call them to respond. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the most basic appeal that a Christian pastor or a lay preacher might make, uh, calling a person to accept Christ as a personal savior. What would that look like? Well, there are a variety of ways that I have made appeals inviting people to come to Jesus. Sometimes the appeal comes on, and I'll illustrate those for you, sometimes the appeal comes on, the, on a basic Bible text. Sometimes it comes as I come out of a story. Sometimes it might come out of a hymn. So let me illustrate all three of those. Let's suppose I've just preached on the divinity of Christ. We've taken a look at the prophecies in the Old Testament that reveal that Jesus is Messiah, that he's not a good man, not, mere, not merely a good man. He is a good man, but not right. simply a good man. He's not merely an ethical teacher, not merely a moral philosopher, but he is the divine Son of God. We've looked at Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that he'd be born in Bethlehem. We've looked at Isaiah 7, 14, that he would be born of a virgin. We've looked at the passage in Numbers that talks about the star would guide the wise men. We've gone through passages in Psalms that talk about the crucifixion of Christ. Now I've come down to the fact that I've shown my audience that Jesus is divine. And I might come to the appeal might come something like this. In Matthew, the 11th chapter, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Christ is more than a good man. He's more than a moral teacher. He's more than an ethical philosopher. And his invitation is to you. Come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Is there somebody here tonight that you are burdened? There is some burden that's crushing out your life. And the problem that you're facing is so big that you cannot handle it alone and you've not turned it over to Jesus. You may be a Christian, you may be a committed Christian, but you're bearing your burden and it's crushing out your life. Secondly, there may be somebody here that has never turned over their burdens to Christ, and the greatest burden you are bearing is the burden of sin. Mm. You're bearing the burden of sin. In fact, there may be somebody watching this program today that this is your burden. Mm. You are bearing a burden of sin, a burden of guilt, a burden of shame, a burden of condemnation. And Jesus says to you today, come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Would you like that rest that Jesus can bring? Would you like that forgiveness that Jesus can bring? Would you like that freedom from guilt that Jesus can bring? Would you like that burden that you're carrying to be gone? Right at this moment, right where you are, you can bow your head and say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. I don't know everything about you. You don't have to understand everything about him to accept him. What you need to know is that he's a life-changing savior, that he's reaching out to forgive you, that he'll take that guilt away. So as I'm talking to my audience, Derek, like that, like I've talked to this audience, and you know, I can never make an appeal that is a artificial appeal. There's somebody, I am confident, that's watching this Hope Channel program that needs Jesus right now. And he'll come to you right now, right where you are. If I were in a public meeting, if I were in a church service, I may invite you to kneel at your pew. I may invite you to get out of your aisle, get out of, come down the aisle and kneel. And very often, Derek, in an appeal for Christ, I will say to people, we're going to sing a song like, Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It. Let's stand and sing. I find that if people are standing on their feet, if they're expressing, mm -hmm. there's an old saying that says, expression deepens impression. Mm -hmm. Expression deepens impression. Mm -hmm. So I've been 
preaching on the divinity of Christ. I've made my appeal based on Matthew chapter 11, 28 and onward, come unto me. Then I might say, let's stand and sing, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. And my appeal might go like this, if you've never accepted Christ before, I want you to come just now. Mm. And I'm going to leave the pulpit, I'm going to come down, as you come forward, I'm going to shake your hand, I'm going to prayer with you. So I'm going to invite you to come if you've never accepted Christ. If you have some burden that you cannot carry, that it's too heavy for you, you just want to leave it down here. Jesus is the great burden bearer, I want you to come. And maybe you've drifted away from Christ. So here are three groups of people, those that have never accepted Christ, those that have a burden that they cannot carry that's crushing out their life, and those who have drifted away from Christ, I want you to come. It's extremely important in appeals that they are specific and clear. Yes. So that it doesn't leave a person saying, what did he say? Mm -hmm. Why is he asking me to come forward? Why is right. he or she or this preacher, why are they inviting me to come forward? What is the purpose of it all? So the appeal must be specific, must be clear, must be heartfelt, and it must be something that you sense that God is going to move somebody in that audience. You know, I just want to affirm something that I saw, and I noticed that you said nothing, nothing is ever like just make-believe, that there's someone watching perhaps even today. And I noticed that you moved from looking at me to looking directly at that person. So let me ask that principle, because certainly you wouldn't want to read an appeal. Right, exactly. You, you, you turned and you looked directly at, at your mm. hearers. Mm -hmm. Important yeah, principle? It is, it is. And the other thing that's important, and you know it's interesting, I've been making appeals for 40 years and God is teaching me. I feel like a child even appeals, but, um, but I was preaching recently, in fact, in um, Argentina. It was an evening meeting and I began to make an appeal from the pulpit. A few people came and I said to them, I'm going to come down and I just want to put my hand in yours. I want to have prayer with you. And when I came down from the pulpit looking at the audience and people just began to come. So you cannot read an appeal. It must be something that is, you're so passionate about. Um, it was one of the British actors was talking to a British preacher and the British preacher said, why do you attract so many people and we attract so few? And the British actor said, you in the pulpit take things that are real and make them imaginary. We on the stage take things that are imaginary and make them real. So we've got to make it real. Come down to where people are, look at them. You offer to hold their hand. Yeah. After the break, we'll talk about some other ways that you can make life-changing appeals. But that was powerful, wasn't it? It was real. Think about someone trusting Christ because you gave a clear, simple invitation to them. After the break, we'll talk about some other ways besides standing or coming forward that you might make a life-changing appeal, having proclaimed a clear word from the Lord and applied it in a life-changing way. We'll be right back after the break with more Ministry in Motion. Welcome back to Ministry in Motion. Our topic today, making life-changing appeals. Our guest, Mark Finley. Mark, I was touched by that simple appeal that you just made. And there were some important principles. You talked about 
expression deepens impression. Let's explore that some more. You know, we used to think, if you read psychology books that are 40, 50 years old, you'd see these linear charts, and it would say thoughts lead to actions. We don't have those anymore. Certainly thoughts lead to actions, but now they're circular. Thoughts lead to actions, but actions lead to thoughts. So if you want to get a person to think a certain way and you want to deepen their thought patterns, get them to act a certain way. So it's not only thoughts lead to actions, but actions reinforce thoughts. Now that's biblical. Here in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, it says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Right. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Mm. So mm. if I can appeal to a person, and I have about seven or eight kinds of appeals that we'll make. For example, I might be preaching on the second coming of Christ, and I might say, is there somebody here that there's something in your life, you know there's something in your life that would keep you from being ready for the coming of Jesus. There's some habit. There's some relationship that's severed. There's some thought pattern in your mind that you know is not in harmony with God's will. There's some action in your life. You just want to raise your hand right now, and I want to pray for you. Mm. Very you, specific, very though specific. you haven't asked them to name the behavior, but. Mm they've already thought about what it is right now. Exactly. I'm not saying, how many want to be ready for the coming of Jesus? Whoever <laughs> right, right, is going to raise their hand. Right, right. But it's, it's like an arrow yes. from the quiver of the Lord to the target that mm. hits them in their heart. And so, is there somebody here that you know if Jesus came, you wouldn't be ready for his coming? There's, there's an attitude, there's a behavior, there's a habit. And we might name a few of those generally. Yes. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Okay. So that's one way. I might... There are times... And then you would pray, and would you just look for them on them, another occasion? Yeah, I don't bring them forward okay. at that time. Okay. But a friend of mine put it this way, an old preacher. He said, any appeal used exclusively is a poor appeal. Mm. So if Variety. every week you're inviting people to come forward, it's becoming very old and mechanical for your audience. So sometimes we have them raise their hand. Okay, all right. Now, there may be another type of appeal that I really like to make a lot. Let's suppose I'm preaching a sermon on the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and I might say, would you like the Spirit of God to speak to you right now? The organist is going to quietly pray that wonderful song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, just very quietly. And wherever you are in this church sanctuary today, if you just want to kneel, forget about everybody else and say, God, speak to me by your Holy Spirit. Mm. Impress me with what you want me to do with this mm. message through your Holy Spirit. Mm. There is no coming forward. And mm. I say, if it's difficult for you to kneel, just sit in your pew and just bow your head. The organist quietly prays. There's maybe a minute of, there's maybe three, four, five minutes of silence. And the Spirit of God is touching people. I mean, I've done this, at Derek, at times in church sanctuaries, and tears are running down people's face. I have not, it's not what I've said, but God is taking that service over. But you have made a life-changing appeal. Yes, yes. Because you've provided a context, and it was very clear. Yes. People don't ask, well, why, why are people kneeling down? You gave them an opportunity right. to pray and to listen to the Spirit. So maybe I preached on divine guidance and how God guides us and the different ways that God guides us. He might guide us through the Word. He might guide us through a friend. He might guide us through direct answer to prayer. He might guide us through providence. Do you need God's guidance today? You're on the verge of a decision. Would you just like to kneel and let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now? Mm. See, uh, so church becomes a place where God works. So there may be a hand-raising call. There may be a standing call. There may be a kneeling call at the pew. There can be an altar call that comes forward. 
The other thing that one can do is prepare a little response card that goes in the bulletin, the church bulletin. And that presupposes some advanced planning. Yes, yes. And the response card might say, suppose I preached on prayer, it might say, please pray for me, I need help in overcoming a habit. It might say, please pray for me. I'm struggling with some hidden sin in my life. It may say, please pray for, for a, a relative. It might have a place where they can write a prayer request. But you very specific. You preach on prayer. And at the end, you say, now, take out your card. And I'd like you to fill it out now. I'll go over it with you. They fill out their card, pass it to the ushers. They bring them forward. You then pray for them at that point, but you assure them that your prayer team is going to pray for those people. So that's another type of appeal. Mm. There's one more type of appeal that I like very much. Let's suppose I preached a sermon on John 17. And I've talked three points I've made in John 17. First, Jesus prayed for unity. His prayers were not predominantly for himself, but his disciples. So he prayed for the unity of the church. Secondly, he prayed that we would be anchored in God's word. Thirdly, he prayed that we'd be with him in heaven, that there's nothing more important. He said, I pray that you be with me where I am. See my glory. That's yeah, right. To see my glory. So Beautiful. I pray, I preach on John 17. Then I say to the audience, I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them the most significant take-home thing in this sermon. Hmm. What are you going to take home from this sermon? And they turn to one another and say, this is what, in one sentence, this is what impressed me most. This is what impressed me most. Then you both pray together. Hmm. Then I'll pray with you. See, that's bonding. So it's, it, 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 and then as they go out that day, a little bookmark that we give to them saying, the central thought, thoughts in this sermon was, the central theme in this sermon was, and you put that on your, on your refrigerator and you look at the theme of that sermon that week. So you think of creative ways that the preached word can bond with the heart of the person you're talking to. That's making appeals. You know, it's so exciting to, to realize that, that while there's a variety of ways of making appeals, that actually making a life-changing appeal is not optional. Exactly. If you're following a biblical model, um, what has that done for your ministry as a pastor, a pastor where you've made appeals and seen God work in remarkable ways? You know, it is one of the, the most exciting thing in my life is to see people come to Jesus and see them life transformed. And I've seen miracles happen. I'll give you one example, just one simple example of one life. I was getting ready to preach on a particular topic. In fact, it was a prophetic topic on the 2300 days of prophecy. The last minute we changed that topic, changed it completely. Preached a sermon, a man came forward in the sermon that I preached about the humility of Christ. He said, I, it was an accident that I was here at this meeting. Mm. It changed his entire life. He went on to become an administrator at a Christian Adventist hospital. But you gave an invitation. He came forward that night saying, I've been trying to go to the top and make more money. Mm. But I heard the humility of Christ and he made a decision to come to a little mission-oriented Adventist hospital and left a big job that he had. Didn't even desire to be at, didn't even know he was going to be at the meeting. It was life-changing. Our pastors can make life-changing decisions. Thank you so much. And thank you for being with us. L making life-changing appeals. You can go to our website, learn more. But God wants you to be a powerful proclaimer and then call people to respond to the message they've heard.